Hi, I'm Matt Kirkegaard and welcome to a special edition of Radio Brews News, looking at Bintani's latest iteration of its Signature Malt series. Signature Malt is Bintani's partnership with Joe White Maltings to locate the best barley in Australia in any year and malt it to the needs of craft brewers. Now this content has been produced in partnership with Bintani, but we thought it was well worth digging a little deeper into the story of Signature Malt as it says a lot about the way the industry is shaping itself around the needs of small brewers as a result of the growth and maturity of the craft beer industry. This program stretches right across the supply chain, from the growers to the maltsters to the brewers, and even has impacts on a regional level, as you'll hear from Brand Tasmania's Pip Dawson. It's an interesting discussion, and if nothing else, you'll learn a lot about barley and malt and good beer. I started by asking Bintani's sales manager, Justin Fox, what Signature Malt represents. The Signature Malt is our ability to sort of get craft brewers back on on top of the pile uh, in terms of selection of barley and and where that's malted and how it's treated and even through to specification. So whilst the the global market is, is pretty big in malt and as the domestic malt plays into that global market pretty heavily, the craft brewers now... I guess through through Bintani, we've got a voice that's strong enough from the collective of people to get to our own lots, pick our specific barley, and really put the the craft industry and what the brewers are accessing on top of the pile. So, um, as a customer, as a collective, we're sort of um, the the priority of it. So, the ingredients have always been pretty good. So across every everything that everyone's doing in Australia, the malt is of great quality. We we always get malted uh, grade barley. And that's um, producing great beer when it's translated through the brewery. But I, I guess what um, the the craft market to get the attention um, of the bigger maltsters, we sort of there's a critical mass where we can make the numbers work, and the industry's got to that point where we can specifically target full silos of you know two three hundred ton at a time, um, malted to a specific uh, um, set of specifications that's really going to suit the craft brewer so if, if you were to take a look at it um from the advantages of of joe white as a maltster and the reach that they have across australia so they're able to access barley depending on how the agronomics of the um, season went they're going to be able to access great pockets of barley as, as a result of that the barley might move around through a season and the smaller breweries aren't really in a position to counter that so the whilst you're getting slightly variation in size and things like that, they're actually bigger problems to a small brewer than they are to a big brewer. Um, and so what we're, what we're doing with Signature Malt is we're ensuring that we're getting that same pocket, that consistency, and, and cutting out some of the problems that arise from having such a great scope of malt to the craft brewer. Before starting work with Bintani, Justin Fox was a brewer with big brewers such as Swan and smaller brewers such as Colonial. I asked him if there was a difference in the ingredients needs for big brewers and small brewers. I don't think so. Everyone wants to use the finest ingredients. I mean, every business, everyone wants to put the best into their beer and, and the big guys and the little guys are no different. I think the big guys are probably more prepared to move and adjust. It's a more of a, a proactive approach to seeing the, the specification move through the year, seeing a different size um, kernel come in. Um, watching as the the friability moves a little bit later in the season and those kind of um, aspects that they can react in advance to keep the beer consistent, whereas the craft brewer is probably more reactive in those. They're seeing movement in the beer 
oh, what's gone wrong? Let's go back, look at the spec. Okay, I'm, I'm losing here. Now I've got to try and adjust my mill, which is, you know, not the easiest thing for a craft brewer to do. Um, most of us like to set and forget that. And so, again, what we're, we're trying to do with Signature is not only use that malt, we're trying to provide that next range of um, data behind it. So at Swan, you know, we were we were looking at absolutely every spec and moving and seeing the graphs and the trends and taking the numbers out of the data and looking at it as a graph. So you can you can see the slow movement and counteract the, the change before it happens. And Signature, we're going to do that as well. So you'll get the the data you'll get the uh, analysis of what's happening through the year because despite even picking the exact same plot of barley and using that all year through the same maltster um, there, there will be movement through the year it's a it's a natural product and we'll we'll be ahead of the game for the brewers on that as well so i asked justin what does signature malt give craft brewers that they're not already getting it's consistency would be one of the best i mean it is a the consistency aspect i think is really really important to brewers especially for your base malt um I think more and more of the beers we're, we're realising you can design and create really interesting flavours with limited specialty malt. Um, you don't have to be 40, 50% specialties. You can really get that base malt level up in your beers, have that consistency of efficiency and laudering and all of those things. So if you can have a really reliable product in that aspect um, that you know is going to go well through your mill, know is going to um, perform well for you and, and have a good flavour as well in your final product, then that takes a big you know weight off your shoulders in the in the beer in, in your recipe development because you know that that base structure is there and going to perform well um the spec is a little tighter than the export pills and and uh the uh trade owl. and the benefit again of that is because whilst the because it's a specific batch targeted for bintani we are able to specify our own requirements we are able to drill in on those um aspects and we don't have to worry about it coming from different plants as well so um dave and the crew down down at devonport know you know they can hit a tighter spec because they do have great control over their process whereas the other batches can move around a little bit because they are coming from different spots and we all know that you can take the exact same recipe and, and brew it in a different brewery and it's going to come out slightly different and it's no different to trying to malt the same barley in a different spot so getting that single source single origin single maltster and locking that away for a year it just brings stability to to everything you're doing in the brewery the Dave that Justin was referring to there was Dave McGill, head brewer at Tasmania's Moo Brew Brewery. So I asked Dave, what does he look for when he's looking for malt? Uh, not adjusting our mill settings is a good start. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, um, it's interesting off the back of what Justin said, um, being able to build a beer around consistency of a product is extremely important at the present time. Um, we see much more noise now in the craft beer industry than we ever have before. Um, so therefore, um, we only use four ingredients. So the differentiation between beers has to come from consistency within the brew house and also those from the raw materials that you actually get your hands on. So being able to interact with somebody, um, we've been you know up at uh, up here in Devonport getting uh, malt for over thirteen years um, from the one spot, and it makes up uh, the base malt across uh, half of our uh, half of our core styles. So we've really built um, beers based around um, that level of quality base malt that we've been getting. Do you think that brewers, uh, hops arguably kick-started the craft beer uh, renaissance, um, fired a lot of uh, imaginations. Do you think as the industry matures a little bit that we're starting to see more focus on some of the other ingredients and malt is starting to shine? Yeah, most definitely. I think when we've seen the move in hops at the present time with some of the new world hops uh, that we are seeing that are um, 
big in flavour and they stem the whole way across the brewing process in the bittering and in the aromatic side of things. Um, they're all well and good, but if they're not backed up by a well-put-together malt bill, um, then they just fall over at the end of the day. We're seeing huge alpha, um, big IPAs and so forth like that, but um, the beers that are really standing out are the ones that have that harmonious balance between um, the malt and the hops. Um, otherwise, uh, beers become out of whack very, very quickly. Um, so I think it is sort of uh, leading to brewers looking at you know the best way in which they can put their malt bill together to... Uh, accommodate you know some of the aggressive nature of these new hops that are coming through you, you mentioned the need to not adjust your mill settings has is is that an issue when uh, you, you're getting i mean not a, a generic malt for for one of a better term malt that's been sourced from multiple regions that can have a, a variety of different uh you know, sizes um does that impact you in the brew house for us um not as much it is much better we um are very sort of strict as to around where we get our raw material from and our malt for that reason because we know what works in our brewery so we've been lucky enough to be around for a long time if you're only young and a lot of the breweries now are less than five years old that would actually play a massive part while you're trying to feel your way and um, you might have a um, particular beer that's taking off and all of a sudden it goes from a couple of thousand litres a year to 100 150,000 litres and when you are put under that pressure and you see that growth it becomes difficult and um, yeah so for us as far as not changing those mill settings is concerned, um, we have the poss- we have the option to do it if we if we wanted to, um, but we choose to do it very very rarely in order to um, make sure that um, we can sort of you know get the job done. Again, having said that, you know if you're looking at Swan Brewery or one of the other bigger breweries, if you're three percent down on efficiency in our size brewery, that's okay. But if you're 20 million litres a year and you're 3% out on your efficiency, um, that becomes a massive problem at the end of the day. You said up front that it didn't affect you because you'd been fairly careful where you selected your product from. Was that born of experience or did you deliberately choose to get your malt where you got it from to avoid those problems? Yeah, we have. Yeah, um, we've done trials elsewhere and so forth and and we found sort of what works. And um, Uber has always been quite deliberate in the styles that they do brew. Um, and we've also been quite deliberate in the way in which we go about brewing those styles. Um, so we seek consistency and quality above um, everything else within the brew house. Mm. Having learned a little bit about what brewers look for, I asked Dave Bald, the plant manager at Joe White's Launceston Maltings, what makes for good malt and what are the challenges in securing good barley? Uh, we're lucky at biggest um, Tassie malts some of the best malt to to malt. Um, Are you saying that as a Tasmanian? No. Like the other guys on the mainland, they're quite envious of the quality of our grain. So um, no, we're very lucky. Um, a lot of times we have to source um, barley from the mainland because we can't sort of lock in a decent tonnage down here. But with the signature malt, we'll be able to um, look to that look there anyway so and um yeah it just gives us more flexibility why is it difficult to lock in the tonnage down here it's well everyone wants tassie grain for some reason like and it's very big in um feed um so it takes a little bit more to look after malting barley than it is feed and there's not much price price differential uh, towards the two of them, uh, Dave Skipper might be able to touch on that. But um, if we don't 
source some good growers and lock in some decent amounts of tonnes, um, we're going to be in the same boat with uh, no stock. The Dave Skipper that Dave Bald referred to is the general manager of a Tasmanian barley producer. So I asked him whether demand for feed barley made it difficult for growers to grow specifically for the needs of brewers. Yeah, it really comes back down to sort of price and yield for the growers. So, you know, good price, high yield. Yeah, their gross margins are looking good. There's so many competing uh, resources for their farm. So, you know, they're looking at wheat and barley and hemp these days and poppies. So there's a big range. So barley's really got to fit into that gross margin. So it's a really competing um, resource to to try and fit into the rotations of their cropping cycle. Um, Saying that, you know, um, there is a big call on feed down here so feed barley is is really big and and as Dave Ball said you know the the differential between the feed price and the malt price hasn't been that big and therefore growers are saying well I can either look after the crop and it takes me a bit more time and effort and cost me a few more dollars or do I just let it go and turn it into feed and still make the same sort of money so there's that competing interest of you know the cost of the crop. Is it incumbent on brewers who want the best ingredients to be willing to pay that little bit more to to secure to to convince barley growers to invest in giving them the product that they need yeah i think so down here in tassie i think you know it's all about a dollar for these guys to to make sure that their um, enterprises are achieving the highest gross margin so at the end of the day it's it's going to be a dollar that drives that uh that malt barley or that barley um crop rotation and what was it about the season? Apparently it's been a great season for um, Tasmanian barley. What was it about this particular season that has really seen it shine? Yeah, last year was one out of the box. I yeah, I haven't seen a season like it. It's just been fantastic. While the mainland was suffering in drought, um, all our growers had a really beautiful season. It was pretty tight early on in about this time last year. So in April, May it was pretty tight. Just had rain that that happened, you know, at really convenient times. Um, and, of course, anyone who had barley in, it really took off. Uh, you know, this, we kept getting rain right through. We had a really good spring. Uh, it was really soft finished. So that, and, of course, when you're growing barley, a softer finish is really good. You know, it puts a lot of plump back in the grain, gives a lot of protein. What does a soft finish mean? Soft finish means um, not too hot and dry. So, in other words, we, we still had rain, but it was still um, maturing beautifully and we still had that warm weather, sunlight um, all coming through. Whereas, um, say, in the western districts of New South Wales, you know, where they grow hard, hard white wheats, they really need a hard finish. So a hard finish is basically no rain, really long daylight and really a lot of heat, so that actually hardens up grain. But down in Tassie, we have a very soft finish. And this year was one out of the box. It just went right through through to December. Um, and when we started receiving um, the barley, um, the first two weeks I couldn't believe how much malt barley was coming through. It kept coming through. Um, in fact, I didn't put any into a feed bin until week four or something like that. And then we just didn't even bother uh, testing it because there was so much of it about. It was interesting to hear that Tasmania had delivered up the best grain this year. As when I approached Bintani early this year to find out about their plans for the 2019 signature malt, Western Australia was looking to be the chosen source. Tasmania was a very late decision. I asked Justin about that. I guess as one of the benefits is that we're looking at all of these different pockets and trying to pick it because it's never going to be repeatable. Um, we're not, as Dave mentioned, that um, yeah, it was one out of the box and. I think the eyes were maybe a little bit even off the prize, as he said. It's just kept coming in and coming in, and suddenly 
it's a bit of a later harvest anyway down here. Um, it's broken dormancy a little bit later, so even at the release of Signature this year will be a little bit later as a result of that. But um, yeah, we, everything was looking like WA, and that was going to be the pocket this year with the drought in New South Wales and um, the conditions in Victoria just not producing, uh, you know, the top quality stuff. So suddenly, with the message just started coming out of Tassie, no, we've we've got the volume this year. We don't, we're not going to have to import. We're going to be able to look after our feed down here. We're going to be able to look after the distilleries and the brewers, um, and and breweries like Moober and uh, yeah, they're going to get their pocket of of barley that they've well secured, but there's enough of it this year and it just kept coming in that this is the time we've finally got a chance to take it to the mainland and show you know showcase some of Tassie's best up there. With such competition for grain and the challenges for growers to produce molten grade barley I asked Dave McGill what brewers should be doing to ensure growers have a reason to grow for them. I think it's a matter of um, the brewers educating the consumer as well as to some of the reasons why craft beer is a little bit more expensive at the tap point and um, that's not just because of the wages and so forth and the more manual sort of labour but we have to be able to give growers confidence to go out and know that if they do put that little bit extra in that um, it will benefit them on the other side. Um, You know breweries create an amazing sense of place um, and um, people are very happy to sort of drink in their local breweries um, but local breweries then have to stem that sense of place out into the agricultural side of things. Without the confidence in the agricultural side of things, we won't get those raw materials and these things like signature. Um, they won't happen. Um, so we definitely need to uh, you know, educate the consumers to the reasons why it's a little bit more and be prepared to pay a little bit more um, at the farm gate. What I hear you saying is there's a real parallel between craft brewers demanding a higher price for their product because they feel that it's better and it's got a story behind it as opposed to some of the um, the more mainstream products. Craft brewers should be willing to look at their barley producers and their malt producers the same way? Most definitely. Uh, malt, when you look at the overall price of putting beer into a can or into a bottle or into a keg, the actual malt is not a great deal in um, the cost of putting a beer together. As much as, you know, I don't want to be uh, talking about upping my price whilst in the room with my distributors. <laughs> um, it is something that, you know, we have to be prepared to do if we want the consistency and the quality of this product to continue into the future. Um, if I was a farmer and um, I would have serious reservations about whether or not I was going to do multi-grade barley, knowing that I was going to get the same for feed-grade barley, um, that or if you were going to go into hemp or into poppies or canola or, you know, something else that's uh, another product that, um, you know, can turn over through the rotations. Um, so it is something I think, um, and, you know, craft breweries have great access to um, consumers. Um, we have the ability to be able to tell stories really well. Um, and I think things like Signature um, and the likes of these kind of podcasts today, we can actually then uh, put the spotlight back on um, the farmers and so forth because farmers have an amazing story. You know, they've got amazing generations of families that have worked on farms and so forth like that. Um, probably telling those stories through social media and the way in which we do it on an everyday basis is probably not their strong point. Um, but being able to draw those kind of uh, expertise that we have back into the agriculture side of things, it definitely helps. Dave Skipper, just explain to me how much extra work, how much extra cost, how much extra difficulty is there in a, a barley producer growing malting grade barley over feed grade bar- barley? Is it, and, and what is the price differential between the two? Uh, probably at the moment, just starting on price, you probably, <clears throat> you know, when I got into this game eight, ten years ago, price differential was probably 70 or $80 between feed and 
feed and malt. So, it was so, so what percentage is what, what? What are the uh, ton per ton prices? Uh, just to give you an idea, let's say it was two eighty for feed and you know three forty, three fifty for malt. Um, you know that's that's the sort of differential, probably eight ten years ago, I suppose, maybe even more, depending on the on the demand for it. Um, these days, you know, in the last few years, it's been sort of twenty twenty five dollars. So the the differential doesn't really pay back for the amount of extra work. So there's there'll be extra runs for weed control. There's extra runs for fertilizer. Um, so every time you take a tractor out, you know, you're always burning diesel. You're you're putting on very expensive products. You you tend to be maintaining that crop a lot more. So you're you're doing a lot more with that crop. Whereas feed barley, guys will just scratch it in. Um, you know, they'll wait for a rain. They'll put a bit of fertilizer on, probably apply a couple of chemicals, and sort of let it go. Um, whereas, you know, if you're actually managing it, you know, there's a time and effort involved in that. So, you know, and at twenty dollars, they're not they're not seeing that that payback. And but if you know, at, at certain stages, you know, if they, I don't, I don't know what that differential would be, but you know, there, there's a point where they say, right, it's now worth my while in doing it. What drives such a low differential for such extra, so much extra work? Oh, it's really supply and demand in the market. You know, we're, we're a global player, uh, even in Tassie. So our, our feed barley prices are linked to what's happening both on the mainland and globally what's happening around the world. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's very much linked to that. And, of course, you know, you're, you can't expect to be paying, you know, or can't expect the molsters to be paying $100 or $150 above feed prices. You know, there has to be a, a reasonable level. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult calculation to make. With storytelling a big part of the craft beer story, and it turns out the ingredient story, I asked Philippa Dawson from Brand Tasmania how sense of place plays into the story that brewers can tell. From a brand point of view, you know, there's obviously the clean and green image that we have, um, but more importantly, it is really that quality and our food safety systems and things like that. So it's how we can tell that story um, and tell it from from the farm point of view right through to to product and the craft beer space uh, in this in this story. Um, so it's really. I think this is a great year for the signature malt for Tassie. You know, we're, we're talking about a, a bumper season from from the barley growing perspective, um, but I think it, it sort of links in then clearly with the craft beer um, industry really taking off um, and the number of um, brewers. I think you said, Dave, in, in the last five years, the number of brewers that have sort of popped up. So it's a really great um, a great story and a great time, and I think it, it ties back into some of the consistency as well. So, from a brand point of view, if we're telling telling the story, it needs to have that consistency behind it as well. And so, the provenance piece and being able to showcase Tasmania and then hopefully drive that that higher price is really really key. It all sounds good, but I had to ask Philippa: Do consumers really care? I do think consumers care. I think you know, there's obviously a market segmentation piece. There'll be some who'll just go and drink beer and and aren't interested in it but I think more and more people are interested in that they want to hear the story and I think you know particularly in Tassie but but probably elsewhere as well it also comes into that experience piece so you know it's whether it goes with a brew pub or something like that people want to come experience the beer are willing to pay more but want to hear more about it and perhaps actually go and see how it's brewed and see how it's made and and have that experience as well so it, it lines up with a few certainly with a few key sectors here but I think more and more people are interested in that 
story. And I think that plays across the whole food spectrum. I think people want to see where, you know, if you're having a steak, you put, you may want to see where the cow uh, was grown and all that sort of thing as well. So I think that that provenance story is going to become stronger and stronger. Dave, how do you tell a story? Moo Brew, for example, when I think of Moo Brew, I think of, you know, pioneering Tasmanian brewery. I think of the art um, and the distinctive uh, bottles. How, when you've got such a strong brand already, do you weave the story of provenance into your marketing as well without then having too many messages? Uh, yeah, for sure. It's a good question. We, um, we try to be as proactive as we can within Tasmania as um, we have a obviously a very good platform one making beer two being attached to Mona um, three being around for 14 years nearly um, so any opportunity we do get to um, talk about it um, off the back of the where the beers come from you know our single hop for example is, is an all Tasmanian hop an all Tasmanian barley um, and, and that was a beer that was designed um, around making an, an approachable craft beer with a story behind it. Um, a lot of our beers are reasonably stylistic, um, but part of the art means that we get to either pay homage to them or take the piss out of them, um, which is the way our artist has always sort of done it. So, you know, we, we work hard to make a Czech-style Pilsner with Tasmanian pale malt and, you know, and uh, you know some hops from Germany and stuff like that. So um, we sort of try and tell it in a, in a um, roundabout way through the, the story of um, where we came from and the reasons why we've created the beers that we have. Um, you know, any opportunity to be involved with, um, you know, the Taz Whiskey Academy and so forth like that, which I take uh, through the brewery every time they come through. Um, we often talk about the provenance. Obviously, it's quite um, important in the Tasmanian distilling industry um, that they use Tasmanian barley. Um, so we get to talk about that a lot. I've spoken at the Grain Research Development Council before. So uh, anything that we can do um, to have a beer with somebody and, and talk about it off the off the back of uh, the luxurious position we are in, in in alcohol manufacturing industry is sort of where we work hard to tell the story. Yeah, just uh, listening to that, I think it, everyone understands that um, the provenance and terrier down here is really fantastic. It's the the quality message coming from Tasmania has always been so strong, and that's what's so exciting about getting some of this, uh, getting this malt to the mainland this year. Um, the the provenance piece, everyone's going to have a story that they want to tell, and that local part of the story is becoming more and more important to to brewers where they can engage in their communities, both on the giving out the beer end and sports clubs, and and the ingredients coming in from growers, but. I guess the the difficult thing is we live in Australia where those climates are changing and moving and that's one of those hiccups we're getting past with with Signature is that whilst it was New South Wales last year when they were fighting for grain down here in Tassie, well this year we we get to come down here and send that back up and it'll be a different story next year. But it's um, the quality piece of getting to take Tasmanian malt to the mainland this year is just so exciting. With Tasmania being celebrated so strongly this year, but last year, New South Wales was the home of the barley for signature malt and Western Australia was very close this year. I asked Justin Fox what that meant in terms of telling the story. That's the inherent beauty of it. That's why we're not locking down to a, to a specific spot. We really want to move with the seasons. It's a, it's a wide brown land and we, we have to work together. So I guess if the local nature of this product is that it's inherently Australian and working with Joe White's reach across Australia to find those pockets, find them early, if, if the rainfall's coming in halfway through the season and we know that it's going to stand really well for a signature malt, then engaging with those farmers, getting them to put the extra effort in early, letting them know they're going to get the, the 50, 60 a, a tonne over that. And that's where we want signature to get to. We want it to be part of enough 
of the landscape of craft beer that we can engage early and build it as the season moves and changes. And if if it's that the rainfall and the conditions aren't right down in Tassie, well, the effort doesn't have to be necessarily spent there. Um, but the brewers will know that they're still going to get the malt they need. And from Brand Tasmania's perspective, look, I think you know we, we're very keen to partner with um, on the signature malt for this year and 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 build on what has been such a strong year. Um, yes, it, it may well move to another state in, in years to come, but you know I think it's it's still um, the fact that the, we're still going to have barley grown here, um, that it's still going to be a strong product. It may not be the bumper crop, um, and so but I still think it's a bit like New South Wales still has good barley. It's just that it's not the signature malt this year, and so it's it's capitalising on those opportunities when there are strong crops, um, but also recognising that it's still good good quality all around Australia at, at all times, and that there's still opportunities for both the barley growers but also the brewers and distillers as well. As has been mentioned before, there wasn't really enough barley. You know, we're, we're shipping barley down to Tasmania to malt and I think if the, if the years continue, I'd be confident that it would perform again and it will be something and, and it might even be that we have to do two models of it next year because people get attached to it. That's, you know, that's where we can see it going. It'd be fantastic if we can have all the pills and malt come out of here and maybe the Tradale signature comes from somewhere else. So we you know the options are all open for us to to use the best barley and this is just a great chance to get what we all know is going to be a quality product um, because the legacy is real you, you ask um, Dave Bald why people in Tasmania are proud of what they do you can see it everywhere my wife and I had a honeymoon down here and we just didn't have a bad experience in in two weeks driving around the coffee at the road um, truck stop you know on the side of the thing was fantastic and the people were all it's, it's just everyone lives and breathes it down here they're really proud of, of what they do and the, and the food and the quality of that produce and the service around it is really, really good. Well, that's Signature Malt. With so much focus on hops and more recently bold yeast characters in beer, malt doesn't always get the focus that it deserves as an ingredient. That was why we were so pleased to work with Mintani to try and tell a little bit more of the story of malt and why a product such as Signature Malt came about and why it is important to brewers. If you're a brewer and would like to find out a little more about Signature Malt and get it working for you in your brewery, contact Mintani. I'd like to thank my guests, the three Daves, Bald, Skipper and McGill, as well as Brand Tasmania's Pip Dawson and Bintani's Justin Fox for their time and expertise to share the story of malt and provenance. Hopefully you enjoyed learning a little bit more about the story of Signature Malt and it makes you think a little bit differently next time you've got a beer in your hand. Cheers. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au.